I went to debunk these myths about what the Arctic looked like and sounded like. There's this idea that everything is, it's just white and it's ice and it's, you know, but it's ice in all these different forms. It's various degrees of water melting and frozen and, and it's so varietal, not only in appearance, visual appearance, but in sound. And that's what I went to do was to gather something that the everyday person who doesn't live up there would experience and bring that back as part of a larger discussion. Hi, I'm Mary Edwards, and I'm entering a world gone good for the second time. Well, hello, my name is Steve, and here we are once again, finding the light in the darkness to prove as we do week in, week out, there's still good out there and lots of it. This is World Gone Good. If you like the good we got going on, please, yes, share us with your friends, subscribe to our show where you are listening right now, and hey, why not take a second and give us a rating and review? Every time you do each and every one of these good things, you help more people find this show. And for that, as always, we say thank you. And if that wasn't self-indulgent enough, buckle up, kids. I'm just getting started. <laughs> hey, it's a birthday girl's turn. We should uh, say happy birthday, don't you think? Happy birthday, happy birthday, birthday McKenna. McKenna. My first new stage play in 19 years. 19 years opens March 3rd at the Hudson Backstage in Los Angeles. The entire cast just told you the name of the show. It's Happy Birthday, McKenna. It's a dark family comedy, and it includes 1,000 bicycles, five stitches, one birthday cake on MIA, and so much more that will hopefully make sense, God willing, and you should definitely come see it. Oh, yes, you should. If you're in LA in March, come visit us at hbmtheplay.com. That's happy birthday, McKenna, hbmtheplay.com for all information and tickets. I'd love to see you at a show. Last episode, Sarah Woodard returned, and guess what? Today... We have another returning good person, my pal, Mary Edwards. I adore Mary. We are both artists in somewhat different ways, but artists just the same. And you're going to hear all about that in a few minutes. And we are both most comfortable living in the past, specifically the 1970s. I am building my time machine as we speak. And I know my friend Mary will be my co-pilot. There will be no questions asked. She will come along for the ride. So uh, what kind of art does Mary do? She is a very creative person in the world of music. She's a lyricist, a composer, a singer, a piano player. She plays multiple other things, and um, she makes her life doing it. Now, um, she found a uniquely good way to combine her love of music and sharing music with her love of travel and for planet Earth itself. She creates these soundscapes using real sound from around the globe, which she records, and then adds her own musical score to. For a better idea of what the hell I'm talking about, here, take a listen. Everyone buckled up for this episode? You better be, because we may not have the time machine ready, but we are definitely taking a trip to the Arctic with Mary Edwards as our pilot. Well, the first time we were together, 
very different situation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyone listening who doesn't know what we're talking about, go way back. I mean, way back. I think you were like episode nine or eight. You're way back, like in the early, you were in the 2020 zone when the Send world was. The- World was a different. different place. Yup, yup. Send them in the Wayback Machine and tell them to brace themselves. <laughs> the world it, was a crazy place. <laughs> the, the, the world is still crazy, but it's a manageable crazy now, isn't it? Because now we know for that to look for that next extra juicy layer of stuff. That viscous yes. personality, mashing, gnashy, gnarly unctuous stuff that is humanity god that's such a good way to put it thank you and don't you think that is true though because i think at the time of the darkness (laughs) we're still in the dark period people but in the real dark time then and that was a pretty dark time a couple years back it's weird to say that right it is i mean we we found a way to function we found a way to manage but what it did it, it strangely enabled people to, and I don't want to take any responsibility or accountability away from folks who should be behaving better, but there was just something about when you go inward. It's it's like the act of talking to yourself. You know, when we we spend our day to day, you know, mumbling to ourselves about this, that, and the other, and we don't look particularly odd for doing it, but. In context, there was just certain, you know, it became filterless nation. That's what happened. Yeah, but also there was a, and I, I, there was a, a, a degree of denial, even on my part. Like, oh, wait, oh, yeah. what, what's happening? What's happening? Wait, mm-hmm. what's happening? This can't be mm-hmm. happening. And now I'm not in denial on anything. Like, I, I mean, like the George Santos thing that's going on right now. That's so silly, isn't it? It's so silly. And I hope somebody's listening <laughs> to this five years from now and is like, who? What? Who? That exactly. clown, literally, like, like he took the words right out of my mouth. He's <laughs> he is Barnum and Bailey personified. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. And they're blaming they're blaming other. Everyone blames other people. Anyway, so listen. So if you're yeah. listening to this, Mary was a guest a few years back. Different story. Wonderful podcast for us to have on a very difficult conversation. She's here today for a whole other reason, which we barely touched upon. So we're going to start wide and go. In Like This, Mary, what's the first song you remember hearing? What's the first song you remember singing? Ooh, ever from the time I was a child? Yeah. The first song I remember hearing was Love is Blue by, um, no, is it Mariette, the composer? It was an instrumental version and I I have this really wild memory. I get teased a lot for this because I have this this memory of like I can detail everything down to like, oh, I saw colors, I know what I was wearing. I mean I was I came home from the hospital and I swear that was the first song that I heard when I I'm not kidding you. I I have this bizarre memory that goes back to times that people shouldn't be even remembering things, especially at the age that I'm at now. I was going to say, this is a good thing. Which is, which is only 27. I know. Um, I know. And I'm 22. <laughs> right. There you are. This you joke are. never gets old. I do this joke <laughs> on here all the time. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm happily at 
at my midlife, I, I'm I'm going through what I call a midlife chrysalis. I am not okay. having a I am not having a crisis. <laughs> I I turned fifty five last September. Twenty twenty two was this real roller coaster of a year for me um, <clears throat> because I had no issue turning whatever age I was going to be turning because we can only move forward, right, Steve? Right. And I feel young forever in part because of the music that I refer to um, from my earlier times. I live in a world that is constantly mid seventies. I live in a world that is, you know, I'm, I'm forever. I feel forever young. Even when I wake up in the morning and say, Ooh, what's that? Um, well, well let different. me hold you for a second. Let me hold you for yeah. a second. Because there's two things I want to say. First of all, anyone who ever says they're having a midlife crisis, in your case, I'd be like, do you really want to live to 110? Um, that's what I'd say about a midlife crisis. <laughs> right, right. And and I feel like I'm I feel like I'm experiencing the opposite or the inverse of that, which is I'm having a midlife chrysalis. I have come up on this next phase of my my delicious womanhood where I feel like, okay, whatever tools I have to work with now, they're great. They're mine. And they, I don't want to be 26 again. And that's why you're here, because we're going to talk about Mary Edwards. Everywhere we are is the farthest place. A sound installation performance on the transforming Arctic landscape. You went, black woman went to the Arctic. That's right. <laughs> black woman in the Arctic, people. Okay, wait a minute. Let's get this clear to everybody. You went up or down? You went to Ar- Antarctic I or went Antarctica? Up, you went up. up so you went up, to up, the up. Antarctic. So that's up. No, 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 no. I went to the Arctic. Oh, the, Arctic. The Ant- the, just think opposite. like the Antarctic is the opposite. Yes. Okay. Uh, and, and I get that a lot because it's just the idea of going to some cold, remote place besides the inside of my icebox <laughs> for a change. Um, How did this happen? Okay, so yeah, I'll give you the long and sh- I'll give you the the tall and skinny, the long and short, whatever. When I was a kid, I was always fascinated with traveling to what I imagined to be the you know like the far reaches, whether it be you know the deserts or the you know the Arctic or the Antarctic. And one year for a, a birthday gift, my parents got me a subscription to National Geographic, and the first issue that came in on that subscription was the Arctic. Edition. So now the Arctic can encompass everything that is around the, you know, that sort of top layer of the globe, which is the Arctic can be Canadian, the Arctic can be Russian, it can be Norwegian, anything that's up there. And there was this one image that was so vivid to me. It was of a group of scientists on these Zodiac boats, you know, those like black dinghies that um, you sort of ride independently from your larger uh, boat craft. And I just envisioned myself in that Zodiac doing some kind of important work. Now, mind you, I was very young. I was very much into science. Uh, but as I got older, even though arts and sciences are not independent of each other, despite what people might think, um, they're very important to each other. But I leaned more towards the arts. And I just couldn't imagine as I got older, like, well, how am I ever going to get to the Arctic and do that important work on a Zodiac if if I don't have the leanings of a scientist and I'm not going in that direction? And it just kind of sat with me that like maybe someday I'll get up there. I'm not sure how. And then I found out about this 
artist residency some years ago called the Arctic Circle Residency. I was reading this article about a woman who was a painter who um, had gone on this residency, and I thought, well, she's an artist. I'm an artist. She's way up in the Arctic. How can I do that? I, I'm i going to try for this. And I did, and I submitted um, an application uh, because it is by selection. They don't just let everybody up there for this particular expedition. Um, and I wasn't sure if I was going to get in on my first try, but I did. And I went up to, I flew up to Norway. I flew up to the northernmost part of mainland Norway, and then eventually up to the northernmost part of the world, which is a territory of Norway called Svalbard. And it's this archipelago and everything else is pure wilderness, super glaciers, polar bears, uh, narwhals, which I unfortunately did not see, but I know that they're there, um, beluga whales, which I was able to record. And um, Did you bring a coat? What kind of coat did you bring? Oh, what kind of coat? That's a, I brought layers. Um, you can bring a parka. Uh, yeah, I brought a coat. I, <laughs> I brought a black llama mink um, <laughs> and a pair of Jimmy shoes. You made Jaja now, very proud. <laughs> I did. So, well, New York is where I'd rather stay. Let me right. Let me ask you this really quickly though. Who, who like met you there when you got there? Did, were you with a team of people? Did you bring your own yes. equipment? Did they – yeah, talk to us about that. Okay, so yes to all of it. So there were a number of um, artists, scientists, architects, writers who have um, applied to this, and they get hundreds of applications every year. And so they whittle it down to um, – they break it down into smaller cohorts um, for those who get accepted. And for each cohort, it's only about 28 people. So out of like hundreds of applications, like less than 30 of us are chosen. So it's a real privilege. And I'm, I'm up there with the best of the best. I'm up there with some really incredible talent who are interested in the, you know, the sciences of the Arctic or the Arctic culture. And everybody goes up there with a different idea for a project. So you're all responsible for whatever it is you need to bring to make whatever project you want to do possible. So for me, it was sound. And I was also there with a few other people who did sound work. Um, and we worked really well together. And even those of us who had different ideas, we had really great conversations um, for the for the course of the month that we were together. And so we all flew up to the mainland. Then we also got on a boat called the Antigua, which is a ice class barkentine three cell ship that can basically it's not it's not a traditional ice cutter it's not one of those large ships like you see on like in that movie uh, with Kate Blanchett where have you gone Bernadette it wasn't one of those large tankers <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and it has a random it, it has a random uh, caribbean island name or a bay oh, I know. yeah 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 it's right. a bay down in yeah yeah keep going <laughs> exactly well the, re the reason why they call it the antigua was because when the ship was built in 1957 it was built with the intention of sailing all around and particularly down into the Caribbean, but it started getting used or was probably usurped for um, more Nordic passages. But they kept the name. I, th I think that's the history. That's what I learned about that. And this boat is really, really sturdy. So it's it's got this like great mid-century feel. It's not very fancy, but it's not 
terribly rustic either. So um, it's just enough to accommodate all of us. It was it was a little tight, but it was wonderful to be with everybody, and nobody killed anybody. That was that was the oh, best part. Well done. But, there was no there murder. No, there were no murders on the Barren Sea. Well, Jonathan and Jennifer uh, Hart would not approve, but okay. <laughs> I know. It's like, how are we supposed to have a show if nobody dies? So, <laughs> Wait, let, me <laughs> ask, all, let me ask you a yeah. quick question. Did you bring most of the equipment yourself, or did they supply some equipment? No, we, we came with our own equipment. Um, I came with my Zoom recorder and my microphones and whatever else, whatever else I needed to gather sound my hydrophones those are the ones that you can you know dip into the water and I had a 30 foot cord so I went way way down into the fjords and was able to gather these amazing sounds record them and take them back to my studio and I mixed that down with other natural sounds I had the good fortune of being around some beluga whales for a good few hours in this one particular fjord that we had landed in we brought our own equipment record all of this sort of natural data and then create something with it. Okay. Speaking of that, that's my question. When you have a song you're going to create, most songs have a story. Most songs have a message. Did you have a story in mind, a message in mind? Did you pitch that to them or did you say, I'm going to collect all this and create the soundscape and get what I'm saying? Did it, did it come together with you for you in advance when you were figuring it out or did it, it was it more behind, you know, as you put it together. Well, I had a general idea about wanting to create something as an homage to the Arctic landscape. But when I was there, I found things sort of breaking down into smaller projects, which I was really happy about. So this is the first of several ideas that I wanted to execute, and this one is t- it is telling a story in a sense. There's a lot of talk about climate change. You know, we talk about, you know, the good that we're trying to do in the world, the world gone good. How can we, how can we give back to the environment? And there's a lot of um, distress and uh, reactiveness around the melting of the glaciers or anything that is happening by way of flooding. Water is a big topic these days. And a lot of artists are going into this conversation with their music or with their their visual art, their films. Um, For me, it was looking at the situation and researching it to offer reassurance to people that, yes, we are largely responsible for the rapidity of things changing. However, if you look at the history of climate change or you look at climate change on a, you know, it's, the chronology is arbitrary because you can look at climate change as in what happened this week, what happened this month, what happened this year, 10 years, what happened in the last millennium. And at one time, the Arctic was tropical. How many people knew that? I only learned that recently. So that's part of my discussion to say, yes, we are going to undergo change. We happen to see a lot of it happening right before us. and. The big question is, you know, what can we do differently? And we've been making some kind of concerted effort. But there's also this level of acceptance to say the landscape is transforming. What was the most challenging part of this expedition, of this adventure? 
The most challenging part for me was accepting the finality of the stay and to to learn to accept that I'm not going to get everything that I imagined I'd get, that um, there are a lot of experiences that you know are happening at a clip. We're sailing through these fjords around this remote island and that we have the opportunity every day to make landing and get out on these smaller boats and, and really investigate the landscape. And I didn't do every single one of them. There were days where I actually stayed on the boat because I wanted to have sort of that faraway observation of the land. There were days where it was so brutally cold that even with the layers, it wasn't so much about, you know, there's no such thing as bad weather. It's bad clothing. Right. (laughs) And hence why I had to leave the high heels at home. Um, But, you know, we were, we were certainly equipped for it, but there were days where I just felt like I wanted to have a different relationship with where I was. And I had to, I was, I struggled with FOMO you know, a mm-hmm. lot, fear of missing out. And that became sort of the, the big joke with some of my cohort. Where they're like, oh, are you going to make landing today? No, I think I'm going to stay on the boat. I might have FOMO, but I think I need to just take a day and thaw out. And and then I would, then I'd go out the next day. Um, so I, I found the finality of the trip challenging that, yes, I, I who wouldn't want one more week in this magnificent place? Um, I went to debunk these myths about what the Arctic looked like and sounded like. There's this idea that everything is, it's just white and it's ice and it's, but it's ice in all these different forms. It's various degrees of water melting and frozen. and, And it's so varietal, not only in appearance, visual appearance, but in sound. And that's what I went to do was to gather something that, the everyday person who doesn't live up there would experience and bring that back as part of a larger discussion by way of the soundscape. And also visually, I mean, excuse me, and also uh, audibly, there's sound. It's not that quiet. There are, there are these enormous glaciers that are calving every few minutes. I mean, big chunks of ice like falling into the sea and creating these gorgeous uproars and waves, and and, uh, I was able to capture that as well. Did it make you feel small? Did it make you feel like a perspective change of like what the world is when you come back to the world as we know it? Yes, in an unusual way, it did. When I made my first landing when I got out of the Zodiac and got onto the land in, uh, it was a Rochef Fjordan. I, I'm trying to remember the actual name of, they all have different names. Um, and we leave that up to our Arctic guides to share that information with us because there are things that are on the map, but you have to have a very specific map to get all that information that, um, when I made my first landing, I was in front of this one, large glacier. And I said, well, this is, this is what I dreamt of. This was the very thing that I dreamt of when I was a child, when I was looking at that National Geographic magazine and wishing I could encounter something that was just so magnificent that it made me feel small 
in the best way possible. And there was that, but there was also this really wild experience where one day we were out in the middle of the fjord recording sound in the water. I was using my hydrophones. I was dropping them in and monitoring the sound of the currents beneath the water level. And I looked up and I saw this one particular glacier. And at first it looked like it was close, but as I started really registering it visually, I said, oh my God, it it feels like I could reach out and touch it. But in actuality, it's about 50 city blocks away from me. So there's there's that uh, visual perception or, or misconception of distance, like everything that you think is closer is actually further away. It's sort of the reverse of your car mirror. There's the idea that if you if somebody makes a sound miles away on the larger ship from which we disembarked to get into these zodiacs to go way out into the fjords towards land, because the boat itself can't anchor to land. It's just too dangerous. So the boat anchors in the middle of the fjord, and then we climb down into these boats, sail out, and get closer to the land or go on the land. You can actually hear people talking from the ship even when in those moments of what you think is quiet. So there, there are all these myths about sound and, and vision. And uh, at the end of the day, it's all science. It's that water can really carry sound in the most magnificent way. How long is the total piece and where is it? Where's it playing? So right now the piece um, is going to be about 50 minutes and it's going to be playing up at the Spitsbergen Artist Center, which is on Long Yerbin or in the city of Long Yerbin on Svalbard. And I'm once I debut it there, I'm going to make it available online for anyone to listen to. But it's going to be performed live, partially live, because I'm going to be using something called a water phone, which is an instrument that has a series of tines uh, that form a circle on a chamber and you you can actually pour water into it and you can use mallets or a bow. And it makes really um, haunting aquatic noises. You've probably heard the instrument in horror films. Um, I think, I think you've heard it in, um, I think it was used as far back as Alfred Hitchcock's psycho. You know, when you hear that, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because there is this, uh, screeching sensation that, uh, that emanates from it. But when you pour water into it, it becomes more mellifluous. It becomes more, there's some, there's, there's this amazing depth to the sound. And I thought, oh, this would be a perfect accompaniment to the natural sounds that I record. So the natural sounds that I record, I'm piecing them together in such a way that it still sounds like the environment. It's not done in the sense to make it sound synthetic or to sound like I'm doing some kind of a a remix. Somebody can do that down the road and that might be a lot of fun. But the purpose of this is to, as I've done with previous work where I've gone into a specific environment recorded the sounds and then brought them back to the studio. I pieced them together to create this sense of 
time. So let's say uh, this piece I did for a river up in Massachusetts called, um, the piece was called Perseverance, and it was about a river called the Kwikachan River. That's a 14-minute piece that's played on a loop. And what I did was I recorded the river at different times of the year to highlight all the different textures of the water in different weather conditions. And so when one listens to it, it sort of encapsulates, this is what it would be like to spend a year on the river, but you're listening to it in 14 minutes and you're listening to it sort of out of the context of being on the river. You're listening to it in the gallery space. And in essence, I'm doing the same thing with this piece where I'm taking the sound from a few different fjords, piecing it together and creating this wordless narrative. But then there is also a layer of, it's very, very subtle, but there is also a layer of conversation in there, you know, whisperings, intonations. Um, I've always been into cinematic scoring. and I've always been into the idea of creating cinematic audio. So, it brings someone into this um, idea of a movie or film without the visual aid. So they can imagine themselves not only in a place, but that there's a story there. So it's wordless storytelling in essence. And then I'll be playing on top of that with this water phone and a keyboard to create another layer of sound tracking. You were very close to your mom. Yes. Her name was Jewel, is that right? Mm-hmm. Jewel, that's right. And um, what would your mom, Jewel, say about all this? Well, what's the first thing she would say when you call if you when you called her up and said, "I'm going to the Arctic"? She was my biggest cheerleader. She was my biggest cheerleader. Um, I lost my mom last year. It's funny that I use different language around the idea of death. And I find myself when I say I lost her, I'm like, no, I didn't really lose her. She too transformed. You know, her energy is out there. She is now everywhere. And when my mom was in her body and we were having face-to-face conversations or on the phone conversations, my mom, from the time I was a child, she basically told me to do this. She didn't think anything was unattainable. And within whatever means she had she would she would support my my adventure and uh that's that's something that keeps me going with my art that's something that really keeps me going with my practice and and my profession is that i had encouragement way from the beginning from this wonderful woman named jewel she um as a matter of fact in her last weeks of life um she had a stroke and we thought she would survive that stroke. So in the time of what we thought was going to be the um, recovery and rehabilitation period, I remember visiting her in the hospital and I had come back from doing a project and I walked in the room and she goes, there she is. I can say I am so proud of my daughter that, the sound artist and composer. I am the proud mother of a sound artist and a composer. 
And that's all I that's all I will need for the rest of my life, Steve. That's magic. It's magic. It's magic. We we were very close. Um she herself had a she had a creative bent, but she was an English teacher and a professor, and that was her that was her craft. She was very good with language and understanding the English language and she was an avid reader. Uh, we shared a lot of that. She was very big on encouraging me to to read as a means of travel, as was my dad. And uh, my dad did not live long enough to see a whole lot of what I'm doing now launch, but he was right there at the very beginning when I had my first singer-songwriter gigs. And uh, he too would express that he was proud. But the nicest thing that I... Um, remember from my my youth was that my parents always said you can and should be an artist there's no reason why you can't it's just as viable as anything else where can people find you online to follow you and learn more Ooh, learn more about me through several links you can find me on maryedwardsmusic.com you can find me on Bandcamp under Mary Edwards or Mary Edwards Music. You can find me on Instagram and just check out my my daily meanderings and my daily musings. And it's it's not all music all the time. It's life stuff. It's music. It's sound art. It's it's all of it. And uh, it's a party in there. It's like a little party in there. It's very you know, every day, Hey, come over and have some tea. (laughs) Uh, it's a nice place to be. So come see me on Instagram. Come see me on TikTok. Come see me on, well, if anybody's still using Facebook, (laughs) I'm hanging out there too. I, you know, I, I keep things as social and socially lubricated as possible. Very much like the seventies. It's socially lubricated. (laughs) We close the show with two questions. You've already answered them before. We'll, we'll have to go back and see if you answer them the same. Question number one is, who inspires you? Ah, uh, I think last time I said my mom. Uh, but uh, gosh, Steve, can it be more than one person? Of course. Burt Backrack, Carol King, Roberta Flack, Lori Lieberman. Uh, God. Camille Basio, um, my my friends, uh, my family. Gosh, uh, John Luther Adams. I feel like I'm in an award show. I and was about music, to say it, but the music I didn't is want gonna the music mm-hmm. is gonna start playing. playing and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna get yanked off with a cane. Um, yeah, just you know what? It's who inspires me, or what about people inspire me. I I can answer that question with one answer. Sure. Love. I'm I'm driven by love. And the final question is not a question. It is a statement to finish. Do not sing it. I asked you not to sing it last time. I can't afford the rights to it. Tell me (laughs) something good. Tell you something good. Um, That despite all the complications and complexities that we endure, there is so much more magic that 
that overrules that. And so much more, you know, self-determination that, that can help us push through those moments of adversity. Try it on. It's really, it's, it's really, uh, I'd say empowering. No, it just gives you a lot of agency. Go for your dreams, people. Go for the gold. Thank you, Mary, for sharing your good. You are welcome back anytime. Next time on World Gone Good. My favorite kind of quote is if you save one life, you'll save the world entire. So I'm a strong believer in that if we do, everybody do their part, will be a much better place, right? So um, my message to people right now would be, it's a, it's a really bad situation. And if you want to save a life, just keep your dog, please. Alexandra Schiffer saves the dogs no one else wants through her organization, I Stand With My Pack. But this is more than just another rescue story. This is a story of one woman's goal to change how we as humans see the world. She wants to make this place a little less about disposability and more about connection. Alexandra believes that's the key, connecting back with each other, our pets, and the planet. I look forward to sharing our very connected, good conversation on our next episode. Until then, be good.